Turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. I'm going to read, uh, read a lengthy portion of Scripture, but my sermon will be shorter on the back end, and it'll, it'll work out in the end. All right, those of you that have been here a good while, you know I don't say things like this, because I do not like negative people. They make me have hives. There's always something wrong. But have you ever had a stretch of time... 48 hours, 72 hours, where everything didn't work. Everything. I burst a water main in our, uh, off the side of our driveway last night. Um, this is just one of the things. And water shooting out like a geyser at a Yosemite park or something. Uh, got here this morning. Our fax machine didn't work. We had to send a fax. The internet didn't work. Our copier didn't work. Uh, the Aviom system blew. We blew something over here. The mic here. And you just look for the candid cameras. Have you ever had one of those like you just go, I'm being filmed this whole last week. And I lead into that. Of course, we've all uh, felt that way. But I want to lead into something you don't often hear me say as well. I believe with my heart that the devil has fought me this whole week from delivering this word to you this morning. I know guys that say that every third week. It's almost like, well, man, when, when do you ever just get to preach? The devil's fighting every sermon but I believe that there were specific demonic attack that would hinder me from getting this word to you today. I didn't know who would be here. I don't know who's here today and I don't know who this is for. But I have a, a message, not a sermon, but a message. It's almost like an arrow sent right to you. And if you're confused this morning, like, I don't think that was applicable to me. I'm not sure. It wasn't. It may be one day. But the ones that it's for, um, you'll not leave wondering, did I hear from the Lord today? And so, uh, and it's probably not in the way you think, because immediately when you hear Jonah, you think about ministers, and it, it could be that. But um, I want to read this portion of Scripture to you and talk to you for a few moments. And if nothing else, you get an email from the Lord that's unmistakable, and that you'll be able to leave today saying, Surely today I heard the voice of the Lord for my life. In Jonah 1 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest, so that the ship was likely to be broken. The mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he was laying there fast asleep. The captain came to him and said, What are you doing sleeping? Arise, call upon your God, if it so be that your God will think upon us and we not die. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, or you could say dice, and the lot fell upon Jonah. And they said unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause is this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? And whence comest thou? And what is your country? And of what people are you? And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why have you done this? 
For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto you that the sea would be calm unto us? And he said, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea so that the sea shall be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not, for the sea fought against them and was temptuous. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech you, O Lord, we beseech you, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And he said unto them, Take me up and throw me into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. I've read the same portion again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> rode hard to bring it to land, but they could not. And they feared the Lord exceedingly and sacrificed unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. Chapter 2. And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And he said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. For you've cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And then I said, I am cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, unto your holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And just three more verses. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying the same thing. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God spoke to Jonah something to do. God speaks to us today things to do. God speaks to us primarily through His Word. But He also, uh, also speaks to us by His Holy Spirit. And the difficulty that Jonah got into for disobeying what God had told him to do, we get into that same difficulty. Sometimes it's a calling or an assignment God has given us. And He's very aware when we ignore or disobey those commands. Most of the dangerous, painful, and difficult seasons of our life are connected to not doing what God has told us to do or when we don't stop doing what God told us to stop doing. Many of the worst seasons in our life come about when we do not do what God has told us to do or when we continue to do the things that He's told us to stop doing. If disobeying the voice of the Lord led Jonah to the bottom of the ocean... You don't want to see what disobeying him the second time will do. And this morning, I believe there are those in this place that are going to have a confirming word. And it is this. The same thing the Lord told you to do yesterday. He's telling you to do today. And he's serious. I want to preach to you this morning on the second time. Let's pray together. 
Lord, I humble myself before you this morning, and I ask that you would anoint me in my weakness and my frailty today. I pray that you would use me for your glory, that this word would go out with clarion, a clarity and power, O oh Lord. That it would not come because I've emphasized certain things, but your spirit speaking it right to the soul of men. You said your sheep know your voice, and that's who I'm speaking to today, Lord. People that know your voice. I'm asking, O oh Lord, that this word would have its perfect work, and it would deliver us from the thing you've prepared for us. It would deliver us from the things that are ahead, and it would set our feet upon solid ground once again. And I thank you in advance for this, God, in Christ's name, amen. I want to talk to you for just a moment about Jonah's disobedience. God told him to go to Nineveh and cry against it. Forty days and you shall perish. And the Bible says in verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish. He didn't want to. I know what God said to do, but. I know what I should do, we say, but. I know the right thing to do, but. And I know I told the Lord I would do it, but. See, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh was a very wicked city and many commentators agree that they were very cruel to the people of Israel. What you would call true hate crimes, violent crimes, aggressive crimes. And Jonah knew that if he went and preached to Nineveh that they might find repentance and if they repented, God who is rich in mercy would forgive them. And it all boils down to this. My message this morning is not about Nineveh, but it's about Jonah being told to do something he didn't want to do. I don't want to break off that relationship. I don't want to stop doing this. I know the Lord's told me to step out on nothing, but there's not enough security there. I don't want to. The Lord said go to Nineveh, but Jonah instead went to Tarshish. As mighty as God is, he, is still, he still allows you the power to choose for yourself. Your life is a compilation of your choices. My life is a compilation of our choices. Now don't think for a minute that your choices are greater than God's will. But I've lived a good while now and you can waste years with your choices. You can waste decades with your choices. And God will never make your choices for you. You find out that most every disobedience is connected to a wrong attitude. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the Word of God. It was take it or leave it. One of the scariest things I hear as a pastor is when Christians will say, I know what the Bible says, but... And you just want to go. You want to step back from him and make sure when, with your lightning rod that when God gets ready to hit him, he don't hit you. I know what the Word of God says, but... His attitude was wrong. God said, go to Nineveh. He goes, well, I'm not sure I want to go to Nineveh. God doesn't give suggestions the ten suggestions. They're not suggestions to the people of Israel. They were commandments. Look at his attitude toward the will of God. God wants them to be spared and I don't want to participate. I don't want to spend my life on other people. Look at his attitude towards others. They weren't worthy of his help. See, it, all of our disobedience stems from wrong mindsets and wrong perspectives. And when you have a bad attitude, a wrong attitude towards God or the Word of God or the will of God, it births every other form of sin. God said, go. And he said, I'm not going to do it. What is it that God's asking of you? 
What is it he's requiring of you to stop doing? And you can bring in other people if you want to. Well, you ain't said this to them. You remember when Jesus told Simon Peter how he was going to die? He said, when you were young, you went about how you wanted to go and you dressed like you wanted to dress and you did what you want to do. But when you're older, and he was signifying how Simon would die, they're going to take you to places you don't want to go. And Simon Peter died a crucifixion. They stripped him naked. They took his clothes off of him. And right before they put him in the ground, he told him, flip me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like my Lord Jesus. Jesus prophesied about how he would die. And as soon as Jesus was telling them about his death, he looked at John. He goes, well, what about John? Jesus said, what's it to you whether he's here when I come back or not? What does anyone else have to do with me and you? And some of you are confused because you are trying to look at what God's required of your brother or your sister or didn't require, and you've made excuse. When your life is individually separate from every other living person in the world, what he requires of you, he requires of you. Your disobedience puts distance between you and God. It said verse 3b that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But Pastor John, I thought God is with us always. He, he is, but that doesn't mean you have access to Him. The distance that your sin creates is not on God's end, but it's on your end. Distance in fellowship, not relationship. See, Jonah knew that to flee from God's will, he had to flee from God's presence. And what he was saying is, I'll do without your nearness to do what I want to do. Think of that. He didn't say he was fleeing from the assignment. Because Jonah knew that you can't separate the assignment from the person. So he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And what he lost was not relationship, but fellowship. And some of you today are still sons and daughters of God but you're dishonorable sons, and disobedient sons. There's no communion. There's no fellowship. There's no intimacy. You say it of other married couples, but could it be that you are like roommates with God? And what we know in our hearts is when we choose wayward paths, we lose the sense of God's pleasure. I've walked with the Lord since 1986. And the worst feeling that a Christian can have is when God is not happy with them. It's the worst feeling. And you can justify it with all the whys and wouldas and shouldas and couldas and what everyone else has done. But when you flee from the presence of the Lord, you flee from the presence of the Lord. And it's true, God doesn't forsake and abandon us. But if I don't have access to that intimacy, if my own sins have cut me off from it, if my separation has deprived me of it, what does it matter if it's there if I don't have access to it? Jonah's disobedience created something else I see in us. Make sure you don't mistake favorable circumstances, circumstances with God's pleasure over your ways. It said that as he left the presence of the Lord, he found a ship going to Tarshish. Isn't it remarkable how there's always a vessel waiting on you to take you out of the will of God? It's just waiting at the dock. And sometimes when you make the turn away from the Lord, and you know, we haven't done the big sins. We're not sleeping around. We're not 
uh, embezzling from our company. We're not, we, we just make the turn away from the Lord and everything's still working and we think that God's okay with us. Don't be confused. That boat from Joppa was not an assurance of God's pleasure. It's just the way things work in the world. And that's why God records details like this. That's why God records details like this in the Word. He's not giving us a history lesson on vessels that go from Tarshish, or from Nineveh, Nineveh to Tarshish. That's not what He's trying to tell us. He's letting you know there's always a vehicle waiting on the believer. There's always a relationship waiting on the believer to take you out of the will of God. There's always an interest. There's always an opportunity. Every time you decide to disobey, there's a boat waiting for you, and it's already got room for you. It's reserved for you. It's just the way the world system works. Jonah just happened to find a ship going to Tarshish. Now, see, we have bus lines today, and we've got airplanes that run every 30 and 40 minutes. May I back you up a couple thousand years? No internet, no computer, no call head. Thank you for calling Tarshish Boat Lines. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like to book a two o'clock boat. Well, come on, we got plenty of room. There was no communication. You meandered down miles and miles and miles and miles of dirt road into an open port. And there might be two or three docks in the whole port. And you could wait months on a ship. And Jonah's leaving the will of God, and there just happened to be one right there at the dock. Oh, room for one? Come right aboard. What's your name? Yeah, we've got a reduced rate. It's half price. Come on, no problem. Come. We're leaving. When are you leaving? Now. Now? Could it be that that thing you thought was evidence that you and God were okay was something that hell created for you to usher you out of the will of God for your life? The other thing I want to tell you in Jonah's disobedience you will always pay the tab for that ticket. It said in verse 3, so Jonah paid the fare. Mark it down that your pastor's telling you on this Sunday in February, when you decide to leave, flee, or depart from what God's asked you to do, you will always pay the fare. Always pay the fare. You may pay some fares going into God's blessings, but you will always pay the ticket for your departure. And disobedience always takes you down. I, I, I could have just paraphrased the story, but I wanted you to see it in the Word of God. The down progressions that Jonah took. Look at what it said. Down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. Down to the bottom of the sea near the bottoms of the mountains. Disobedience always takes you down. If you study the story of the prodigal, you'll find a downward spiral where the prodigal told the father, he said, give me everything that pertaineth to me. I want to separate what's mine and the father's. I want mine now. And he left. And he departed and he went on a long journey. See, he had already left a long time in his heart before he ever left in his person. And by the time he left in his person, departure turned to distance. And distance turned to riotous living. And riotous living turned to famine. And famine turned to decay. And decay turned to death. When, when the prodigal came to himself, he was looking in a mirror and he said, And here I am dying. Not sick, not hungry, dying at the point of death. I'm dying with hunger and my father's servants have bread enough to spare. I will arise and go back to my father and repent. No one ever plans when they leave the father's house to being an alcoholic. 
No one ever plans into ruining their marriage and leaving their kids with the scars of divorce. No one ever plans on meth addiction. No one ever plans on being bound by pornography or lust or illicit relationships outside the covenant of their marriage. No one plans on that. They just want to separate a little bit what God's stuff and their stuff. And whenever you start dividing God's stuff from your stuff, you better check yourself. Because when he bought me with the precious blood of the Son of God, he bought me. Lock, stock, and barrel. He bought my past, he bought my today, and he bought my tomorrow. There is no dividing up. He owns me. He owns my marriage. He owns my children. He owns my plans. Don't believe this watered-down Sunday morning sermonette filler whatever it's offered, Christianity light, that you just, just let God love you. Don't you love, isn't that nice, wonderful? Breathe God in, breathe God out, wonderful. Have a wonderful day. He purchased us with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain lifestyle, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb slain for you. Your decisions to yours, ours, decisions to disobey God always spiral down. If you're taking notes, you don't have to write this sermon down. You can write always spiral downward. Jonah went down to the port, down to Joppa, down to the boat, down to the bottom of the sea, down to the base of the mountains. I meet with people on a weekly basis that find themselves in the bottom of the sea of confusion and have no idea how they got there. They got there when they fled from the presence of the Lord. Number two, Jonah's dilemma. God will not let you run without responding. So the Lord sent a great wind and tempest to the sea. When you start to turn from the Lord, he starts brewing a storm for you. It's about to get very close. Y'all might as well take that one shoe off. I'm coming for all the toes at the end. It just, there's no other way to go to it but right here. When you turn, he starts brewing a storm catered to your specific personality. And I thank him publicly for loving us so much that he will not watch us turn without responding. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon said. He said, God loves you too much to let you sin successfully. I love that. Anybody else besides me live that? He loves you too much. So the storm is created. Jonah thinks he's, there's a seat for you. Come on, get on board. Wonderful, paid your fare, beautiful weather. And God's telling angels, watch this. He, He has no idea what's coming. Watch this. And don't mistake your sunny departure on your ship for the end of the journey. God opposes your direction for the saving of your life. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for storms that were birthed in heaven. I'm grateful for them. Because they make it difficult. Nay, they make it impossible to finish my journey away from the presence of the Lord. God targets every vessel that will take you out of his will. The Bible said in verse 4 that the ship that they were on was about to break apart. Oh, he'll come against vessels, those relationships, 
Those, those, oh, I can't live without him relationships that will take you out of the will of God. How many married people look back five, six, seven, eight years ago and go, thank you, Lord, for what you saved me from. You kept me, could have married that person you were dating. You go, oh, Jesus, keep me near the cross. You did so good to me. Thank you, Lord. And you didn't see it then. But he sent a storm to that relationship. Closed business opportunities or open business opportunities that moved you out of what you thought you needed because he wasn't going to let you depart from him successfully. He comes against these vessels. But P.S., what vessel are you riding on today out of the will of God? I don't care how much you love them or they love you. I don't care how much you make and what's been promised to you in this company. I don't care what their retirement plan is and what education it provides for your children. If you are out of the will of God, God will come against that vessel in distinct, specific, aggressive, unmistakable ways because he loves you. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, but it's the truth. He's going to come against it every time. You realize who your source is by who you look to first in crisis. When the sailors were afraid, they cried, every man unto his God. This will show you the condition of Jonah's heart. These men who sail for a living. If you're on a plane and flight attendants are scared, be scared. You ain't got to worry about turbulence or buttons or bells. If that flight attendant's gripped this like this, you're in trouble, catfish. You are in trouble. And when you're on a boat and sailors are scared, they're praying to false gods. They're whittling gods on the deck and burning up little incenses and praying. What's Jonah doing? Sleep. When you're unbelieving friends, pray more passionately than you do about your situation, about their situation. Blindness has crept in. See, Jonah's dilemma was he was leaving the presence of the Lord, so he had no presence of the Lord. And when you're away from the presence of the Lord, you don't know how late the hour is. You don't know how dangerous it is. You lose your moorings. You lose your bearings. People mistakenly think that you can solve these spiritual problems by dealing with external issues. When the sailors saw the storm coming against them. Here's what carnal people, by carnal I mean uh, naturally minded people, not spiritually minded people. They started, you know, pulling the little wheel off and throwing it over and throwing over boxes of food and clothes and jewelry. They're lightening the load so that they can make it. And some of you, this is how you repent. This is how we repent. You start dealing with little sub-issues and trying to Repent or lighten the load, lose a little bit, but still stay on the vessel going out of God's will. And lightening the ship doesn't stop the storm. You can't settle a spiritual issue with external means. Now, external means in repentance can prove your heart. But there was no repentance. And you can just rip tackle off your vessel all you want to. As long as the storm is beating down as heavily as it is, it's going to have its perfect work. Here's what a Christian would say that's on board. Let's just say Jonah woke up and started helping them instead of repenting. What can I do short of repenting to make sure this vessel survives? 
when you care more about the vessel than you do the pleasure of God, you're in trouble. What can I do to make sure this vessel survives? Because of his disobedience, Jonah lost some things. He lost his sensitivity. He wasn't aware of the hour, the desperate times. He wasn't aware of the lives at stake around him. See, when you leave the Lord, you lose feeling. You stop caring about other people's eternal destinations. Jonah's not concerned about these men on board. He didn't even know the storm's going on. He lost his prayer, his life of prayer. Prophets pray. And here he's got unbelievers out praying him on the deck of a boat. He lost his anonymity. The lots fell on Jonah. So here they are, these pagans trying to decide why this trouble is going on. They're like, did you do something? I haven't done anything. Have you done something at home? I haven't done anything. And so they're like crying out. Picture it on the deck of this boat. This ain't a flat luxury liner on calm seas. If the boat is being torn apart, what does it look like? It's going up 50 or 60 feet. It's coming down 50 or 60 feet. And they got little broken sticks. And they're rolling them, you know, like a spin the bottle, seeing who the bottle points to. Oh, God. And they're just rattling off pagan gods. Show us whose fault it is. And so here comes Jonah, this groggy prophet up on the deck. And he's not participated. He's not helped tear the tackle up. He's not thrown anything off the deck. He just walks up there all sleepy. And the little stick turns to him. Hello. Did their gods make the lots fall on Jonah? No, their gods don't exist. God, who doesn't endorse their method, wants us to know thousands of years later, the lot will always fall on you. When we get past, it's my wife's fault, it's my husband's fault, it's my parents' fault, what they did or didn't do, it's my pastor's fault, it's my church's fault. When you can get back to it's me, O oh Lord. And I chose outside of your will. And until you get to that place, God will send specific storms and he'll even bring to your attention. See, that wasn't to embarrass Jonah in front of his peers. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He wanted him to know, I know where you are. I know who you are. And I know how you got there. And he got involved in the throwing of sticks. And it pointed to Jonah. Jonah lost his testimony, and he lost his voice, and he lost the voice of God. Be very, very careful of Christians that are always telling you, I got a word for you, I got a word for you, I have a word for you, I have a word for you. May they have a word for you? Yes. But God speaks through people and circumstances when you won't listen to him directly. And God used these unbelievers and their lot casting to speak to Jonah because Jonah had stopped listening. God's design for your relationship with him is he talks to you directly. He talks and if you won't hear directly he'll speak through a pastor on a Sunday morning and he'll tell you God's talking to you about this. The second time he's talking to you again he's not changed his mind. What is it? What's the thing that you refuse to do or you refuse to stop doing. If you're in disobedience, you'll soon have a dilemma. And if you don't respond in the dilemma, you'll have distress. Let me take just a moment and talk to you about this. When this storm came against him and Jonah realized the severity of what was going on, 
he knew now that great anguish was about to happen. He knew that God had him in his crosshairs. And here's how I know that he knew this. He told them, the reason you are experiencing this storm is me. So is this an injustice to the scripture for him to say, God brewed up this storm and slung it at me. And don't think that your sin will not affect your wife and your children and your children's children. If they're on your vessel, whoever's around you will reap this whirlwind that's coming. Jonah had a dilemma. He knew God had him in the crosshairs and there was no way for him to escape. He knew that his sin was, his sin was harming others. He said, it's my fault that you're experiencing this storm. And once God had set his personal storm in motion, no man could help him. It said, when he told them this, he said, throw me overboard and the, and the storm will cease. Listen to what it says. They said no. And they started rowing harder to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea was against them. If you've ever listened to your pastor about your loved ones. Now, I've been talking to you individually, but now I'm talking about someone else in your life. Please listen to this statement. Enabling someone in their rebellion only prolongs their deliverance. The kindest thing you can do is turn them over to God or turn them over to the enemy for the destruction of their flesh that their soul might be saved. Jonah said, if you'll throw me into God's hands, this is over. No, no, we won't do it. I'll just help you. I'll, I'll, I'll help you survive. I'll help you make it. And we're so scared that someone will say we're that Christian that uh, judged them. We're not judging them. We're giving them back to the Lord that paid for them. You follow me? The longer they rode, Jonah's storm continued. The moment they turned him, they weren't trying to kill Jonah. They were turning, Jonah's the one that said it. He goes, throw me overboard. Storm will stop. God wants me. So here they are. They've prayed. They've rode. They've burnt candles. They've made sacrifices. They've rode again. And they're like, one, we're really, really sorry about this, bro. <laughs> Two, we really didn't want to do this. We really didn't want to. Three, now picture in your mind what happened when he hit the water the wind stopped. I believe they had a God encounter. I believe they were like, this is the true God. Jonah begins to sink. Jonah begins to sink. His dilemma was not the storm. Well, it was to some degree, but the distress is going to really happen. See, we think the external things are the hard things. No, baby. No, no. When you do, when you navigate deep waters and your circumstances, it's very hard. When you navigate deep waters in your soul, it's life-changing. His distress was just about to hit him because when he hit the water, there just so happened to be a great fish in all of the water right there to swallow him whole. Now, May I just very quickly, I don't like to give time to the atheists and the agnostics, but they say, they say, well, first of all, a whale is not a fish, it's a mammal. Well, God in his word called it a fish. And Jesus called it a whale, and so a fish and a whale. No, it's a mammal. Well, in your books, you call it a mammal. And God called it fit, great fish, great whale. Either way. When you get to heaven, run it by him and see which one it is. 
Second thing, it is physically impossible for a whale to swallow a man because his throat is not big enough. And they've done the measurements, even the smallest of men, a whale could not swallow him whole. I have no problem with that. How do, you, how, do you, how do you connect the two? It's very easy. The Bible said that God prepared a great fish. How did he swallow him? He prepared this fish. You ever met a big person? And then you met a really big person? And then you met a person that would sell shade at the beach? You go, you are one of the biggest people I've ever seen in my life. You are straight, just big, every direction big. You don't think God could make a fish to swallow a man? And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. God is preparing or has prepared a specific fish to take. You found a ship to take you out of his will. He has found a fish to bring you back. He has prepared him, sculpted him to bring you back into his will. Jonah's deliverance was born in great darkness Great affliction and great isolation. I won't talk to you but for a few moments, but I really don't want you to, don't lose me here. I want you to stay with me and get this. So he hits the water, the fish swallows him whole, and immediately all the lights go out. Immediately all the lights go out. Immediately great affliction. A rocky boat is nothing compared to the stomach chamber of a great fish where this man can kneel, kneel down or stand up and push against the lining of this fish's stomach. The gastric acids are literally burning the top layer of his skin off over a period of hours. Great affliction, great isolation, and great darkness. What does God do when he gets ready to bring you back? He separates you from everyone and everything that will keep you out of his will. He turns the lights off so you won't be distracted by the little shiny things that have occupied you before. He puts you in great pain because he knows that darkness and isolation and affliction produce prayer. And Jonah began to call on the Lord. Jonah began to cry unto the Lord. Ben, if you would come on up for me, if you would. He began to cry unto him. He said, and he, he started to remember God's word. Y'all stay with me. Come on, singers, if y'all are joining them. He began to remember God's word. Jonah said, you told me in your word that if we ever got into distress, that we could pray towards your temple and you would hear us. And the Bible said that Jonah cried out and he said, I'm crying to you towards your temple and I know that I'm out of fellowship with you, but I'm sending up a flare, O oh Lord. Y'all don't follow them. Stay with me. I'm sending up a flare, O oh Lord, to you. Don't, don't let me die out of your will. What a change. Do you remember when he told them, just throw me overboard? What he was saying then is, I'd rather die than do God's will. See, the storm didn't get him to the place he needed to get him to. The fish did. And so instead of saying, I'd rather die than do the will of God, he's saying, don't forget me in this. I can't get out. I can't get through. I can't get past. I can't get over. Oh God, I cry to you from the bottom of the earth. He said, seaweed is wrapped around my neck 
he's fighting in this intestinal part of this beast. He said, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. And we, some people curse God for the fish. Prepared fish are one of the greatest expressions of God's love for you that you will ever find. Because when he got in that fish, he cried to the Lord. And then he said, here it is. I will keep my promises to you. My vows, I'll do them, I'll do them, I'll do them. Because see that prophet, and there are people in this room, they're teenagers and they're 20-somethings, and they're 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds that you've prayed before. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. God, my life is yours, my life is yours. And then you forget you prayed that. And what Jonah was saying is, I'll do it, Lord, if, if, if you'll let me get out of this one. I'll do it, oh Lord. So picture, I know there's not a video store in heaven, but I'd love to watch this one from start to finish. How does a whale vomit a guy up on dry land without beaching itself? Well, if he prepared a fish, I believe he prepared an alcove, something deep channeled something. So here's this whale and he comes sliding up near the shore and right at the last minute, he just projects this man onto the beach. He's bleached. He is. There's a stench that pulses from him. And he's never smelled better to the Lord than that moment. And he said, where's Nineveh? And a three-day journey took him one day. You know what he said? I got to make up for lost time. I got to make up for lost time. Is there anybody in this room that feels like they have to make up for lost time? I got I to gotta get back in his will. I got to get back. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for the fish. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for not turning away from me. Lord, I, I repent. And the Lord spoke to him a second time. This is the whole message right here. Jonah, ain't got nothing new to tell you. Go do what I told you to do. Yes, Lord. And there are people here today. If I heard the Lord for this message, you're in danger of ignoring him the second time. And there's no hope for those people. You're at a place of mercy today. A place of repentance. I asked Ben to introduce this song this week and we sang it. And I wanted to make it a part of the altar call. The thing you're keeping from God is keeping you from God. Now, be careful not to be stirred emotionally and go, well, maybe I don't even know what it is. I need to go to the altar. No, you don't. You know. You don't got to ask nobody no questions. You don't need to talk to Pastor John. You don't need nobody to pray for you. You just need to go talk to the Lord. And with every eye open... If God has spoke to your heart about the thing and you want to repent, I open this place up for you to come pray. As they sing this song, just take your time, but do business with the Lord this morning. I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you, 
Church family, would you look this way just a moment while these pray? I also feel in my heart just to make the appeal to the person that's just made the turn away from the Lord. Maybe not a not fulfilling of a thing or a stop doing a thing, but just, I've just turned. I'm just, I'm not where I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I've just turned. And you've confused sunny skies for God's pleasure over your life. Man, you don't have to do the storm and the fish. You can just turn back to the Lord and say, I changed my mind and go back. This altar is open to you and humility is the word of the day. You're not caring what people think. It matter, it's not their business. But you just, the altar is open for you. If that's you, I want you to come and find a place and pray this morning.
Church family, would you stand with us? These are praying in the altar. That's fine. May I just tell you a little 60-second commercial of my life as a Christ follower? My life has been filled, filled with walks to Joppa that I turned around before I got on the boat. You just start, you know, you know, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Lord, I want to be this way, so sorry. And just, the devil will tell you, you're such a hypocrite. If you can't do it right, just quit. That's condemnation. Anything that makes you want to run from God is condemnation. God uses conviction, which makes me want to run to God. And what I said to you this morning, this is what this is about. Lord, I know that I'm fickle, but I'm truthful. And I'm sorry for even walking in the direction of the boat. And here's the thing. You do these over years. I don't mean we're supposed to do them daily, but over years like ebbs and flows and tide and I think the key is when you realize you're walking towards the boat and you just go, I'm sorry, Lord, and turn back. There's abundant grace for us. There's abundant grace for us. And don't wear a a false condemnation about that. Sometimes you repent before you get on the boat. Sometimes you repent on the boat. Sometimes you repent in the fish. But don't ever stop repenting. Because if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all, you didn't hear me, all unrighteousness. All of it. All of it. Your pastor loves you today. And if there's any part of this message where you felt I spoke down or condescending or arrogant, it was not my intention. These are hard to preach. But it's my desire that on my shift here, that you not know that we can be deceived, we can deceive ourselves. And maybe you'll be like me and you learn to really enjoy or like the sight of whales in your life. Because it's the evidence that God will not let you sin successfully. Storms and whales. It's God's love language. Amen? Hey, before you're dismissed this morning, Don't forget, right following service, about five minutes afterwards, we've got an informal business meeting, our annual business meeting. It's just a review of our last year and what God's done in our house, our financial records. It'll take about 15 minutes. We invite you to stay. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you this morning.